ladies and gentlemen, trees and non-binaries, and welcome to an exciting episode of Fantastic Plays, the gaming podcast here on the Fantastic Universe's podcast network, where I, Adam Ray, the user tinkerer, and a very special guest, talk about all things gaming, be it PC, console, tabletop, and everything in between. For those of you listening to our Patreon support, thank you for giving us your time and attention. As you well know, Patreon subscribers get access to all of our written work at a great bit of time in advance, as well as extended and uninterrupted episodes of every podcast we produce. Keep your ears open as I'm looking to start a second show there with some of the other members of the writing team here on Fantastic Universes and whatever else we may be able to bubble together in the life fantastic but you'll hear more about that in a good time as well as the hopeful chance of Faye Clark and I resuming our Raywood rewatch our supernatural retro review show but here is the time for games here is the time for cards as is tradition with our recurring guest and uh, contributor here on Fantastic Universe's Connor McIndoe better known as Akariu how are you today my good pal? I am doing well today, Adam. It is lovely to hear your voice. And I'm so excited for what we have planned for today. Because it's a it's a game that's kind of taken a while by storm, but not in the way not enough. And not in the way that I would have expected it to have done. That's interesting. I'd love to get your takes on that once we've uh, introduced it a little bit. But uh, as far as some of the content creators I follow and some of the community chat out I hear, I can definitely attest to the grand success of the newest uh, independent mobile card game that's got a, an acceptable but not great PC support uh, support client, Marvel Snap. It's there's You can find my primer article on it on fantasticuniversity.com. I'll include that article in the show notes. But in any case, Marvel Snap is a new card game that started... Uh, opened its open beta in October 2022 and has continued to go strength to strength. And some of the creators I follow have abandoned games like Legends of Runeterra and Magic Arena in favor of Marvel Snap. And that's honestly an indication of just how strong it is. But then again, I also know other creators who look at it and say, yeah, it's a fun mobile game and then just summarily ignore it. So it's got a lot of attention. It's got a lot of eyeballs on it. And I know that the uh, advertising for it has been fairly aggressive given talking to some people that I know, but it's a force that has had a big impact and is looking to stay for the foreseeable. So yeah, let's let's talk about Snap. I mean, it's very much got a powerful backing in its creator with Ben Brode, the original creator of Hearthstone. That's definitely contributed to a lot of its polish and a lot of its um a lot of the way that the actual gameplay works and the fact that it's so well optimized for mobile. Um, yeah. I think that's also part of his success. Yeah, go on, Ben Brode. Yeah, so Ben Brode is very successful in terms of Hearthstone, especially with its earlier releases. Many players who have played Hearthstone in the past remembers the, uh, the, the patch notes and stuff where he would release trailers talking about cards and what they were planning for new sets. And his just genuine enthusiasm for the game. That is one thing that's great about the man, Ben Brode, is that his enthusiasm for what he creates is truly there. He's like a kid in a candy shop trying to get all the sweets for everyone else and himself. He loves what he does, and it really does show in the games he makes. Uh, I remember fondly playing older Hearthstone, and I remember really feeling that love when I started playing Snap. But I'm sure that someone else here 
AU to yes. tell us a lot more about the gameplay of Snap and what it's like to get into the game. Snap, honestly, as soon as I started it, I sort of followed the trends because of uh, uh, YouTube creators that I follow, like Jeff Hoogland and Megan Mogwai, uh, known for Magic Arena and Legends of Terror, respectively. Uh, those were creators I trusted, and their attention on it was incredible. Uh, was incredibly intense and in, uh, very well backed. So those opinions were ones I took seriously. So upon trying it, I looked into it and said, "Yes, this game has a lot of polish and has the IP of like Marvel and Marvel Comics." That's a big distinction. I'll sort of touch on a little bit more in a minute. But it really feels like you are getting into the actual deep lore of these characters and some of the locations in the Marvel universe. The overall polish for it for mobile is definitely solid, and the gameplay plays a lot differently to a lot of the other card games I'm used to. I'm used to a lot of the antagonistic, like, here is my board, here is your board, here are my life points, here are your life points, attack down to see who wins first. Whereas this game, you are trying to take over bases. It's reminiscent of the board game Smash Up by Paul Peterson, one of my personal favorites and a favorite of uh, some of my university friends. That yeah, just is. Yeah, the uh, the uh, unique stance and putting that base style card game into the forefront has been a breath of fresh air for the mobile card game scene. Uh, I think Titans like Runeterra and Hearthstone have had a strong presence for a while, and getting something new like that is uh, very welcome. Yeah, I, I have to agree. It's it's interesting for me to see the base capturing esque style of gameplay back because i remember back in uh the early about mid 2000s early 2010s a lot of uh living card games actually tried that with um games like warhammer conquest warhammer invasion um the arkham asylum series were also types of games that were not uh antagonistic towards each other and trying to capture resourced areas or uh, like bases or specific nodes to try and further their game plan or to uh, win the game. So it's been really interesting for that to have been brought back in such an interesting and intuitive way that is a lot more easy to get into as for a newer player rather than having to have a wealth of knowledge in the background. Yeah, definitely. I think that, that plus the speed and the ease of some of the gameplay and the Marvel Comics IP has really pushed this game into a uh, casual camp gameplay perspective. It's really brought in a lot of like low effort, like mobile gamers, not to discredit, like, or any gaming is good gaming, but those kinds of players that aren't super enfranchised card gamers like you and I, anyone who could just like jam a game for like five or so minutes between their commute or uh, trying to distract themselves at work or whatever, that really just has captured a lot of people's attention. Oh, I, I definitely agree with that. It's quite interesting because um, that is the original goal of what Magic the Gathering was for something to do during the lunch break to play against your co-workers. So it's kind of interesting how that's been brought into the current era with Snap and how you are it's come up with the times onto the mobile, so it's, you can take it with you anywhere. It's always accessible. And just to be able to play it within a few minutes, it means you can do it when you're on the bus to work or if you're just waiting for a quick meeting or something like that. Just the instant access and gratuity of it is really nice to have. 
Yeah, that's definitely been a, big, been a big part of its success. And the fact that it's optimized for mobile, I think it's the only mobile game that's actually portrait, not landscape, that I can take seriously. But that's also the reason why I'm having trouble trying to get back into streaming on Twitch because I cannot be able to set up any good scenes to make it look good. And there are a few, and like it looks portrait and ugly on PC. So as soon as the developers patch that and they said that's a thing that they're working on, all the better. However, um, that has really led to its uh, immediate success. And I think a thing that you can probably touch on a little bit with your appreciation for Gambit, the actual appreciation for like Marvel Comics and specifically Marvel Comics, I'll unpack this in a minute, has really brought in a lot of players as well. Yeah, I, I when I was playing it and getting all the different alternative art styles and the different types of artists that have put forward arcs for the game and also uh, taken inspiration from previous uh, runs of those characters. It's an interesting way of doing a collectible scene for it and allows you to personalize your decks and your cards with the way you want to do it. And I love how you can slowly, like, spoilers for what the game entails, but to upgrade the cards so they become more impressive visually i love it so much I, i'm still waiting to pick up a gambit card in the game but yeah when i do i know for a fact i'm gonna try and grind getting that to a legendary as fast as i can oh i have some interesting things to tell you about how the cosmetic upgrades for cards go because after a while uh you get other versions of cards that you can keep upgrading even if you get it to max uh max prettiness yep yeah, uh, I'll, we'll unpack that in a little minute. But also on the subject of Gambit, uh, they put out a bundle that you can like pay IRL money for uh, mm. to have Gambit and Rogue look like the 90s um, cartoon animation style from the 90s, the super awesome. Yeah, and okay, I, need to look into that. <laughs> I don't think it's available in the shop anymore. That Those variants might come randomly in drops, but mm. like the two of them, because did you see the music video that they put out? Uh, I did not. I'm afraid. I, I've, I got into the game as it was releasing when Silver Surfer was the season pass. Right. Um, no, not sorry, not Silver Surfer. Uh, Mars Morales was the first, yes. wasn't it? Yeah, there was one oh, before that. That was uh, Jane. Yeah, there was Jane Foster's Thor before that, but that was before I was playing as well. I got in just in time for Mars Morales. Yeah. So I started playing when Mars Morales had just been introduced and was the season pass, and I played it for about a month. And then other card games, which uh, we'll get onto eventually, and other and life and other things kind of took a hold, and I kind of walked away from the game for a while. So I checked in occasionally, and also with our own talks about it, I kind of kept track, but not nearly as much as I wish I did, just to keep an eye on it. Yeah, it's come. Uh, it's grown quite a long way since then. I put out two expansions of cards since then and they've made efforts to make uh acquiring cards a little bit easier something else will unpack a quite a quite a fair bit and putting out other season passes of uh silver surfer and now the savage lands and it looks like we've got some hints that modok and a few other characters will be coming in in the next season pass which is Ooh. yeah which will be very good for uh gambit players because that's also the discard uh casino uh, hollow one style decks. Oh, okay, that sounds sick. Okay, I, I look forward to trying that out when when it comes out. 
Yeah, that, that will be good. That will be good. But essentially, the thing I wanted to sort of touch on is the fact that you can very clearly tell that the art team and the design team are actual fans of the comics, not the Marvel movies or the TV shows, as great as they can be, the actual comics, because like cards like Kazar and Blue Marvel are some of the first ones you get for starting up the game, and they're yeah. powerful cards in all tiers of play. But has most have most Marvel fans ever heard of those characters? Really? Not. Not within the current generation, no. Yeah, they're 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 quite old school '80s characters, as well as characters like Dazzler, who's coming into one of the new expansions. And I just looked through looked through for a who's who of stuff. That uh, yeah, it's um, a surprise to see certain characters would be just a wild and surprising just take. But yeah, um, just the uh, just Squirrel Girl being in it. A character that is quite beloved by the Marvel community, but more the comic side of things, because we all know how powerful Squirrel Girl is. Yeah, Squirrel Girl's beaten Thanos in fights multiple times, and I've heard so many rumors in the rumor mill from like people who love the movies that Anna Kendrick wanted to play Squirrel Girl, what from um, Pitch Perfect fame, and yeah. she even she's said that she's up for it. So whenever that wants to happen, she'd still be good for it. I, I would very much enjoy her being Squirrel Girl. I think that would be hilarious. But yeah, it's just like there's so many characters that aren't put into the movies and the TV shows that uh, keep getting released. And yes, we've had a lot of characters come out and a lot of characters that we weren't really expecting. Yeah, definitely. And some of them had very weird effects on the game themselves, but uh, to more effects than others. Yeah, and I, I like how they try to keep effects in tune with what the character would be like or do. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot. There's a lot of good flavor to their effects as well. Because uh, when you actually play, like we keep, we're going to keep using Gambit as an example because he's a card gamer in the Marvel comics and he's a card gamer in this game. That's why the analog for Twisted Fate in Legends of Runeterra was always caring about cards as well. But in the when you play Gambit out. Even though his stats are really weak, he will take a card from your hand and fling it at one of your opponent's cards and it'll do the purple streak, just like in the comics. Nice. It's so good, right? So good. Uh, the, you know, make, I, I actually played some Twisted Fate recently. I'm sorry for the tangent. I played him recently and it felt so good to play him because it just feels good to play with cards and other medias. <laughs> definitely, definitely. But... um. Yeah, so you, friend, you have you've had some toes dipped into Marvel Snap, and you've like hopefully this chat will hopefully like bring some of your interest back into it, and hopefully if your fates allow, you might be able to open Gambit fairly soon. But if, like we've got my primer on the Fantastic Universe's website, so we're not going to assume that we're like beginning, beginning. But some things about like the game itself are worth unpacking for all levels of play. So, what would you like to discuss in the world of Marvel, my good pal? Well, I feel like an opening discussion I would like to have about Marvel Snap, and it's it's both a thing I love about the game, but also kind of hate, and that is card acquisition. This is the biggest gripe that the community has with the developers for this game. It really is. I also love it because it's kind of like, it reminds me of older school type of card games where it wasn't a case of, right, Go find what the best deck is, figure out what, get all, put all the cards in a basket, order them, practice deck, hope you like it. It's, what do you have? Yeah, that part of it, yeah, that part of it is really, 
really interesting because um, here in my house, I live with a few house, a few a few housemates, and one of them is almost more deep into Marvel Snap than I am. They shout us out to you, Carl, if you're listening to this. Um, he is very close to finishing the collection, but I also know that I'm sitting on cards that he still doesn't have, and that cards I've been using fairly regularly this year he doesn't have. But I also taken a lot of like Marvel Snap content with him, and we watched some of like the high end players who have collected level six thousand plus, and they're talking about one of them will talk about a card, and he'll and the other one will be like, "Oh, I don't have that one yet." So there's definitely an air of real like baseball style card collectability here. There's yeah. still an element of like really hoping that you open the character that you really really love. Yeah, and I love that. Also, it makes it so because. When you when you look at competitive card games, you come across this issue of, uh, for example, in Magic, we're experiencing it a lot in uh, Modern at the moment, where the best cards are in basically every deck. So like Ragavans, Urza Sagas, uh, Fury, Solitude, etc., etc. These cards that are so ubiquitously powerful that they can just get put into whatever kind of. And so, yes, there is lots of diversity in deck archetype. Diversity in actual card pool is a lot lower. Yes, that's just that's the thing that is so the opposite here in Marvel Snap, and it really yeah, blows my mind. Of how they've done the uh, acquisition of cards, where even I said as high level players going, oh, I don't have that. They have to work completely around that, and they'll still be, as you said, high level players. And they don't have to have every card. They don't have to have... They might need certain cards if they are truly just busted. But from what I've noticed so far, it's a very balanced game around itself. And so most things can work or you can work with what collection you have access to. And that way, it kind of increases the diversity of the pool. Exactly. It's... uh... There's some some cards after a while you will see consistently because they've put to like staple status cards like Shang Chi, Jessica Jones, and then the obvious top ends like Doctor Doom, uh, Onslaught, Odin. Those sort of roll filler cards. They they will be there sort of forever. They'll be ubiquitous. But after a while, someone will just bust out Galactus, and everything will just fall to pieces. And you'll be like, okay. I'm not even mad. That's amazing. You either had an amazing luck opening one of the collector's reserves, or you downed 6,000 collector tokens. But, yeah, that's the... Yeah. You just get completely blown out by someone's Hulk, and you're like, well, okay, yeah, 12 power, just there. Yeah, exactly. Like, Hulk is definitely the fairest finisher, because for raw stats, with no downside, yeah, you're getting that pretty well. Yeah. The means for collecting cards themselves, they are done through the collector, uh, the collector level after, after a certain, I want to say after 200 or so, get to, you finish all of uh, season one, or as the collect, uh, the current creators call them, pool one, season one, as the roll filler cards, a lot of the early discarded cards, and Blue Marvel and Kazar for like the one cost swarm style decks. Then you get through collector levels two from 200 to 400, and then 480 plus season three and beyond. As you keep, okay. yeah, as you keep opening, as you keep going up the collector levels, you're more likely to get certain cards or certain cosmetics for either your profile or different art styles for cards that you have. Okay. You, yeah. Pretty cool. Yep. 
Uh, another thing you can open now that they've implemented it at the end of the last year, certain things you can open in uh, the collector's chests or collector's reserves are uh, collector tokens. They usually come in drops of 100, and you spend them in a section of the shop called the token shop where you can get literally buy out certain cards as they come through on a rotation in that shop. Oh, okay, so, so sort of like what they do with the um, alternate arts or with the increasing collector uh, rarities. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh, they, that, that shop changes three times a day, but it has a function where if there's a card you really want, you can put a pin in it, and that card will stay in there until you've saved up the tokens you need to actually buy out that card. Okay, that's nice. I like that. Yeah, for example, I've got Daredevil pinned in my shop because he's a very, very strong control card that I want to put into some very obnoxious decks. Yeah. Yeah, Daredevil is a uh, two energy, two power, but uh, on turn five, you see what your opponent plays before you make your own plays. Oh, that's very powerful. Very powerful, and one that I've wanted for a long time because I want. It's like a lot of the times the play patterns are, you'll see your opponent sort of dance around some stuff. And if they overcommit to one lane, you can uh, play Spider-Man to lock down another lane so they can't play there, so you can play your powerful cards there on turn six, or play Professor X there so they can't play any of the cards further, or even simply you can play one of the Guardians of the Galaxy cards so that they can get a power boost to push your side over despite what they've played. Yeah, that all works. And yeah, you can even use like Professor X to lock down a, uh, another lane as well. Professor X, uh, Professor X is a very big feels bad card, but functionally in the game, it's a card that does need to exist. So I do support that card. Yeah, it's been very interesting. Like when I have been playing the game and like looking through some of the cards, seeing how they do balance things. Like the um, typically with dis uh, cards that are discard outlets, like Blade, it's got a higher power for a very low cost, but it's also got the cost of discarding a card. And it's interesting how that then gets turned into advantage with stuff like um, Wolverine? Is it Wolverine? Yep, Wolver yep. Wolverine also uh, automatically plays himself whenever he's discarded. Uh, I play the discard deck quite a lot. Um, it's got very much like a casino-style feel, and a lot of, like, you and I would sort of know it as a hollow one from Old World Modern. Yep. Yeah, that deck was... Uh, <laughs> That deck was fun back when Modern was a fair format. Okay, so circling, yeah. Yeah, circling back to Snap for a second. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Back to, uh, games. Yeah, so circling back to Pharaoh Games, we were talking about how Blade, uh, one energy, three power, very much above stats, but the fact that it discards a card means that it discards a card at random. But in the dedicated discard decks, you are either discarding... Apocalypse, who grows in power and returns back to the hand every time it's discarded, uh, Swarm or uh, Wolverine give you value, or you're discarding huge stated dudes for Hella, aka Kate Blanchett, to reanimate on turn six. Nice. That sounds actually like a very cool deck. Yeah, and, and that's, that's something I love. Uh, that there's so many like interesting decks, even with a smaller pool. Yeah, they they've been able to make it in such a way that there's enough like bread and butter cards to be able to fill in the gaps for things that you still be able to play anything. But then again, I've been playing a lot of discard and I, and as of the time of recording this, I opened Colleen wing today, which is another discard card that the deck really just hums well with. And like, I'm still very enfranchised, but I was like, Ooh, yes, opening a new thing. That's the thing about the actual like system is it really breeds excitement for whenever you open a new card that you like really want. Yeah. It's just, You're not a, just like 
opening a hundred packs, hoping you get like the playset. Yeah, exactly. Because again, the, the game's a singleton. There are 12 card decks. You only ever get one card of a thing, but that's still enough to be able to get, create a compelling game because games only last a few minutes each. Yeah, six turns, and that's it. And uh, yeah. you, don't need, you don't need a 60-card deck for that. Definitely not. First, there was the DC Comics News podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the Knight. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the night. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Pup, a Harley Quinn cast. Harley Quinn? Harley fucking Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Ogre. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up the bat, I'm nuts. I definitely do not fuck bats. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't fuck with Lois Lane. For fuck's sake. I'm a damn good cop. Lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. Fuckers. Picture this, someone who knows nothing about comics. Someone who knows comics from movies, TV, and video games. A complete ultra-comics nerd. You pick the character you want us to talk about. You send us the questions you want answered. You make the show. A podcast by fans. For fans. Making new fans. Superheroes. Or dummies. Part of the Comics in Motion podcast network. In a world of stereotypes, being called a geek comes with a certain image there is still that ingrained thing within me that is a little bit embarrassed about it in reality geek culture has never been more mainstream and behind every geek is a real story my dad was the one who got me into star wars and things join me your super dummy paul as i continue my learning experience and talk to the real people i'm a secondary school teacher so i teach 11 to 16 year olds in english hear their stories exclusively fantastic universes he's one of them like you've ever gonna grow up and i'm like no why should i i, I like my life I, I enjoy what i do this is my hobby available on all your favorite podcast catchers hi my name's steve and I'm here to tell you all about the DC Comics News Podcast. Every week, my friends and I sit down and discuss everything DC. Movies, TV and streaming, comic books, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. 
listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Whatever the case, you can find the DC Comics News Podcast on every podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere else you find podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, listeners. This is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. regards then to how metas are formed and shaped in this game obviously as we've discussed and gone over quite a bit is that collections aren't the same there is no card pool like equivalent of say magic arena standard where everyone has this card pool and if they have enough wild cards they can just make it instead it's through a lot of playing and through even more uh acquisition and luck factors even if you do have vast majority of collection there will be cards you're just missing so how does like the meta get shaped by decks and how does like standout staples get formed in this type of format and um way of acquisition i would say that the staples that a lot of uh, a lot of players have right now are the cards that are in effectively collector series is one and two. Uh, there's no official list from the team at Marvel Snap, but there is a resource that I use quite often called Marvel Snap Zone, run by uh, .gg Media, who I've done some writing for in the past. Those mm-hmm. those cards are the base cards and uh, various. Things that have followed it have since gone on to like become staples. So cards like Odin will see play alongside Wong forever. Kazar will always have an archetype because they'll always print cards that cost one. And then the cards in pool one, you've got cards like Apocalypse, which is the finisher for like the discard deck. Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur have been a strong deck together forever because you can just play the cards that create cards in hand, or you can play some of the Agents of Shield. Um Cards that like have like this is true for practically every card game I've ever played. Cards that are just generically good on their own usually become staples. Shang Chi will always bust up like their uh, their high end plays. Uh, cards like Scarlet Witch or Rhino will always get rid of a location that you just find annoying or Storm. Um, Hobgoblin and Green Goblin are just good. Yeah. Hobgoblin and Green Noblin is just good disruption. Jessica Jones is just a, a power, a high power unit that you don't have to work towards. Uh, things that are like low collector level but are still pretty powerful in a lot of decks. 
are just would just generally become staples. And I think that's true for the games we've played, like cards like like uh, Path, Swords, and Thoughtseize in Magic, and cards like Command and Conquer in Flesh and Blood. Yeah, very true. There's always it's it's always good to have staples within a card game because it allows you to be like, right, I want to do this cool idea, but I need a backbone. I need something to like just prop me up in case the plan doesn't necessarily go all the way. And that's where stuff like a lightning bolt comes in to just deal with the creatures or uh, command and conquer to get rid to go through defense reactions or uh, floodgates in Yu-Gi-Oh and um, to deal with like massive balls I can't be dealt with uh, like Dark Ruler no more to deal with loads of negates. Yeah. It's always important to have these staples. The problem becomes when the staples overshine everything else. And I'm really glad that so far in Snap, and I don't think due to how they've designed the game, they can really go into a way where you don't get staple dot deck. Yeah. There's if you're able to like uh climb the collection levels after a while, some of the some of the content creators I follow have posted some like generically good cards dot deck and that was some of the stuff they climbed with and that was before the december balance patch where leader was a four power card is the play pattern of turn five of turn five leech your opponent the cards in your opponent's hands are all villain and no longer have any abilities into turn six leader where they play out some of those cards but then you copy them for yourself if you've been able to disrupt their game plan or put some power cards of your own out that's as generic as the games get but a lot of the early plays that you can see a lot of the decks are very themed around like either self-destroying like aristocrat style gameplay heavy discard moving your cards around or like creating extra cards in hand to feed the devil dinosaur there's enough variety there that's sure some decks will be better than others and certain play like if there's a meta i'd say there's a meta for play patterns and certain combinations of cards rather than like dominant decks i don't know how unless it's like a long time from now when a lot of the player bases have like access to the vast majority of cards i don't know how much of a meta game there would ever be in marvel snap Mm, yeah that's interesting i think if the game were to have a arena styled or hearthstone styled crafting system where every card could just be obtained quite easily with just spending money from pocket i wonder if there would be a overstanding if everyone had every card if there would be a top deck like there just is the best but i feel like that's where there's so many cards like professor x and cards that mess with your opponent and disrupt them where they come into play to help mitigate if anything were to become too powerful? I think there would be. I think there's uh, an opportunity for them to be on the ball with live balance, and so far their live balance has been pretty on point and pretty pretty prompt, but at times, I'm not necessarily missing the mark, I just think that there's been times where I've looked at some of the buffs and I've like, has that really made any impact? But then again, certain buffs like uh, Hazmat, uh, going from two energy one power to two energy two power has actually made the card playable alongside like cards like Luke Cage, of course. But that's the other side of it. I think a lot of digital card games could really implement what Rune Terror has been doing recently 
That's actually printing new cards like uh, the Desert Duel and that five five mana stun two things fast spell for Talon. They're able to play and create new cards sort of in response to what the metagame is doing just to be able to create answers or to create tech cards. That would be an interesting design challenge for the actual designers themselves as well as a way to remedy what's going on in the meta. That and just the ability to nerf or buff cards or change them completely. Like I learned this morning that Sun Guardian had changed. But yes, um, so yeah, I love... Unfortunately, sometimes they do overshoot nerfs, like a card referencing Runeterra as we're on it. Um, Vane, for example. Yeah. Which Uh-oh. went from, I am one of the best decks in the format, I'm super playable, super strong, but not like unbeatable to... You probably shouldn't play Vayne when there's like Quinn in the game. Yeah, that's that's why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so true. And that's so sad because like the the change of tumbles mana cost. Even though yes, when you level up Vayne, you're allowed to reduce it to zero like once per turn or twice a turn. It's still such a massive nerf compared to what it was that it makes it so much more clunky and more difficult and less worth playing that card over other cards that do similar in the same regions. Definitely. I know that, uh, like, back when this expansion came out in Runeterra, Bane, uh, one copy of Ke- uh, one copy of Kane, and Aatrox was incredibly strong, and now Bane's just vanished off the side of the world. I think another example of a card that's been over-nerfed in that game is uh, Poppy. Yeah. Unfortunately, Bandle, uh, Bandle City was... Um the bane of the game's existence for a while yeah it kind of was but it just did it just did everything so well there was so cost effective it was so aggressive it could play long game band alarms it was a deck i played quite a bit in multiple variants and it was just felt so strong like unless it pick up very harshly it never felt like it was behind so I understand why they did the poppy nerfs. It sucks, but it makes complete and utter sense, unfortunately. Yeah, very true. It's uh, it balanced things out, and it'd be very hard to unnerf poppy without it becoming a problem. But the way the current meta is, uh, it would probably find a decent home as like one or two of play in the game deck. Yeah, it's great that at the moment uh, the meta for Legend of Terror is so diverse. I was looking through. And it's because uh, my housemates recently been getting getting into it, so I've been having to re go back to it. And it's so cool to again see how they've managed to make a game where, what champions do you like? You can probably make a fairly decent to competitive deck for them. Bartam Kench and Soraka. Um, oh bless. Oh bless our hungry boy. Um, but yeah, it's, and I'm glad that more online card games are taking this approach and i'm from looks of it snap is taking this hands-on approach of right there's this problem we need to nerf or buff we have to and we've got to keep at it and then if things get overshot we just revert it or change it in a different way that's definitely true i think another thing and this is definitely true for right now as the time of recording this a thing that really hampers like a solid clear meta game from like ever taking over is the feat is the actual locations mechanic, which is something we haven't even touched on, and the featured location. So, okay. yeah. So, like we were talking about before, 
this is a game where you're not you're not tagging down opponents' life total. You're playing characters to increase the power your power over certain locations. There are three bases that dominate the middle of the board, and you have two sets of numbers that represent your power there and their power there. And after the six rounds, whoever has the most power across all three bases or whoever's got the most power out of two of those three bases wins the match. And then there's certain factors that implement a tiebreaker there as well. Um, each of the bases usually have an effect that modify and change the game. But you can be on a deck that says, okay, I'm Destroyer. I have cards like Carnage and Venom and Deathlock and Killmonger. And I have lots of cards that are okay with being destroyed, like Deadpool, Green, Sabretooth. And then at the end of the game, I'm going to have like a death that I can play for cheap, play it alongside Arnim Zola to put 12 power into two different locations. That's your game plan. That's great. Your first location is uh, Death's Domain, which is just like, oh, it kills my cards for free? Great. Your value. Second location is Wakanda, where cards can't be destroyed. Okay, that's a bit of a problem. Your opponent plays armor over some of your cards that can't be destroyed. Oh, well, I don't think I'm going to win now. But that's just another factor that makes it really balanced, because certain, certain decks will thrive in certain locations. Certain decks won't, won't feel the difference, and certain decks will just, like old horrendously badly that makes the gameplay a lot uh, extremely varied and that's another thing that adds to its replay value a lot of games will feel vastly different even if you are playing the same deck over and over just to climb yeah very much so it's so interesting watching the different locations be the added rng factor but also skill factor within the game uh especially when you get stuff like when opponent is winning or losing when whichever player is winning or losing in this location something happens like drawing cards making giving the opponent rocks or uh discarding cards and it's so interesting how you can mind game those locations with your opponent and the skill factor of those mind games with just one location out of the three is uh is really interesting and such a cool game mechanic to experience Definitely. Being able to mind game and out and out sync your opponent is, I'd say, a huge part of the skill factor and being successful in climbing ranks in this game. Uh, another thing is also your ability to get the soul read for wherever your opponent is going to play. And that's why it's good that they put the Guardians of the Galaxy cards so low down in the power level, in the uh, collector's level, because they're cards that if your opponent's played a card here, they get a power buff. So it really teaches opponent, teaches players to not overcommit to certain lanes because they might just get guardianed. Or it teaches you to try and think, all right, so if my opponent's winning here, if I play this and it gets the power bump, I will still be able to take it over. It's a interesting point of power and like game understanding to be able to make those kinds of judgment calls. And that's another thing that rewards like enfranchised players. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's very much a case of as well how you can get into your opponent's head and like try and think of how they would think which is something that is super important for card games in just general, especially if you're up against, like, say, a control player in Magic or, um, like, a Darkness player in Legends of Runeterra. Just, like, working out where the threat is and where they perceive threat. Because oftentimes, as players, we'll look at something and go, yeah, this is the scary thing here. But your opponent might not think that. They might think it's actually something else. 
yeah, that that skill, that ability to get the soul read is something I've heard it referred to a lot by um, fellow uh, card game podcaster Jack Patton. Um, I've heard it sort of referred that way, and that's a huge important skill to be able to play Marvel Snap well. Uh, I, I my soul reads like hit and miss at best, but still, it's uh, always something to think about in most card games. But I think it's a particularly important skill. Oh yeah, it's. I would say that the closest thing you can liken it to is a bit like super complex rock, paper, scissors. Yeah, almost. Yeah, like you go a dice roll and this is rock, paper, scissors, but with extra maths and extra things to complicate it. It's no longer rock, paper, scissors, lizard, spark. It's rock, paper, lizard, spark, gun, dynamite, nuclear fusion. <laughs> um, like power of god and anime on their side everything else versus just um and adding to the game to make it so much more complicated than just rock paper or scissors i win yeah and that's one other thing that keeps the game fair and keeps it interesting because if it was just like deterministic like certain other games then i don't think this game would have had its appeal or its power oh no definitely not i feel like it very much had to capture the heart and the child. Yeah. In my mind, like, like the, the inner kid of playing card games like this and the inner heart of, right. Got to think of what my poem's going to do. And the, um, the character within the cards. And then, then you get the strategic side of things. Because the art style is amazing, but, not everyone unfortunately likes that kind of art style, which is why I'm glad that it's got multiple different styles. Yeah. Like realistic to like the ultra cartoony. Like my Hawkeye I run in my Salazar deck is the super cartoony sunglasses. And I and I love it and I think it's brilliant. But I, someone else might be like, no, I prefer the um the gritty Hawkeye. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. We can both play it. That's totally valid. Um yeah, because the the variance as the the mechanic for it goes is uh there's multiple version there's multiple different art versions of each character card and uh, each uh, functionally they all play the same way in game but there's you can tailor the looks based on what each what each card wants and I've played against people that have had all of the pixel art variants and I'm not super hot on those but the fact that they've been able to like make their deck all pixel except for like one or two cards incredibly impressive and very difficult so there's there's definitely the element of being able to play that way and it also likens it back to like the comics because uh, marvel comics are guilty for putting out multiple variant covers for like each issue that they make so this is just another thing that makes it feel like the comics i mean we know about that from the uh, the gambit series that <laughs> you uh, you got for me where it has multiple different art styles for the uh, covers yep obviously we know what's coolest oh yeah definitely that's that's always how i buy my comics i always go for the cover that's the most cool uh that's the only way to do it in my heart but um yeah i was like as you were saying this i was looking through some of the collector levels and uh marvel snap and i'm looking at the variants of gambit and yes they've been able to appeal to all kinds of gamers and all kinds of aesthetics here and we can hope that they have a good hopeful for, for the future I would love that. I would love it if in five years I can go back to it or like continue playing it and go, right, my cards from the first set are relevant. 
or it, at least like a couple of them, like Wolverine, for example, in like destruction discard decks or uh, Carnage in destruction decks. Like just these cards to help engineize certain mechanics and aren't just fully pushed out because there's now a two energy card that does the exact same thing at the same power level as Carnage, but just better. That is the hope. That is the hope. And it would be in the game's benefit to keep things not power crept because if you're not just power creeping cards, you'll keep power creeping people's favorite superheroes because there's only one version of each character of a card. You're not going to get Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty or whatever, like with legendary creatures of magic. That is actually something I'm kind of hoping they do do eventually. Yeah, I've I've heard some people sort of suggest that and like other versions of cards because like, yeah, maybe like if they had like a Falcon... Like Falcon after he became Captain America, maybe, and like other cards like that. If they handled that well, or maybe. Like Captain America joining Hydra and stuff like that. Yeah, as long as it was like a thing that worked in the comics because he was only really mind controlled for that. He was it wasn't actually yeah. him doing that. Of course. But like that kind of like either that as an art style or that as a, like its own card would be kind of cool. And like doing alternate universes, because that's like a big thing in Marvel, isn't it? Like the do multiverse. Yeah even within the comics. So I feel like that would be interesting to try and bring forth into the card game. But I would personally have it so that you keep the same name and you can only play one of the name. That'd be an interesting design. So you could play Captain America like what we currently have, or you could play Captain America Brainwashed, basically. But you can only play one or the other. That'd be interesting. That'd be a good way to handle it. Yeah. yeah. That way you get more variety and you try and make it so that they kind of fulfill the same niche-ish, but in different ways. So like, whereas uh, Captain America currently is all cards in the same zone get plus one power each, Captain America Brainwash could be all cards in the left zone get plus one power. Yeah. Something like that. A design like that could be pretty interesting. They're able to handle it well, and they're able to make the yeah. rules clear to the, to the players. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what they come up with in the future. Well, in any case, do we have any further things we wanted to discuss in the world of Snap? Because there's uh, always plenty to talk about in a game, but this is a sort of a spotlight episode, as it were. Um, Handling variants and the state of things going forward, we're looking at possibly seeing Modoc soon and the other Discord support. Variants make your game how you want it to be, and everyone's favorite superheroes are mostly well handled in each in each COD. Sounds like a great game to jump into in twenty twenty three. Yeah, uh, ideal ideal world. Uh, you would what? What would you be playing, my friend? Because like, if it's it would be just it'll be Gambit X, wouldn't it? Yeah, it has to be. I, I love Gambit too much. Like, I tried to play Twisted Fate, who is one of the more difficult champions to play in uh, League of Legends, because he is effectively Gambit. Yeah. Uh, using cards, and I love using Twisted Fate as a uh, an icon within my Twitter, and just Gambit has always, even when I was younger, being a standard character, like I remember watching um, Wolverine and the X Men, which was like a, a different X Men series, more focused on Wolverine, but a massive side plot it had was based on Gambit. 
and like his relationship with Scarlet Witch and things like that. And it was so good. And I remember just loving him and his character in it. Handled well, then the character is very beloved. And in the game, uh, some like the heavy discard hollow one style deck where you're like either discarding cards to reanimate with Hella or to just build up your apocalypse to as high stats as possible. Or if you're feeling particularly interesting, um, there's a card called Wong, uh, Doctor Strange's buddy, who copies on reveal effects. So if you play out Gambit there, then he can gun down two cards. Oh, wow. That sounds sick. Yeah. You could also use, um, it's non play, right? So you could use Odin. Exactly. Yeah. To get him to do that again. And then get him to do that again twice if you have Wong there. Or that sounds amazing. <laughs> that sounds like my kind of deck. <laughs> I'm sure it would be. And I look forward to seeing you trying it if uh, your card collection allows. Or at the very least, you can just. Um, I can let you take my game for a spin. But until such time, uh, you'll probably find me, dear listeners, streaming Marvel Snap eventually when it starts to look good. But I'll get to that in a second. I'm much more interested in my good pal. Connor, where can uh, our dear listeners find you and your things? Well, once I've sorted out the uh, audio and my PC in general, after doing some tinkering with it fairly recently, I've not, I've kind of knocked out the audio on it so um once i've sorted that out i'll be trying to stream some card games uh mainly eternals which is a game i've been very into lately and uh i'll be writing up a primer soon to explain why i've been so into it and why i think it's a great choice and magic alternative going into 2023 uh other than that you can find me on um twitter at Akariu as well as at Fantastic Universes as one of the article writers, where hopefully by the end of next week we will have a new article at the time of recording this. Uh, do keep your eyes out for Eternals content from my good friend Akariu, and you may hear us discussing Eternals right here on this show. As for little old me, as I said, you can find me streaming card games on twitch.tv forward slash isitinkerer. Find me on Twitter at isitinkerer talking about card gaming goodness. I recently retweeted the first look at some of the Lorcana sealed product. Once we get a bit more information on that, we could probably do a deeper dive onto Disney's new upcoming card game. Uh, you can also find my writing on Zartu Games reviewing board games, Dark Knight News reviewing DC Comics, uh, Storytellers Forged looking at TTRPG goodness, and of course, Fantastic Universe is talking about all of the above. Thank you for listening to the Fantastic Plays, where all gaming happens all the time. And until next time, live free and play well. See you next time.